All right, hey everybody, uh, this is episode eight of what the hell are we talking about, or what are we talking about? Um, and yeah, I'm Matthew Yados. And I'm Matthew Brown. And uh, this is the third episode of our, well actually, the fourth of our critical theory uh, series. And Matthew is going to do some readings, and then we're going to do some uh, light commentary. So hope you enjoy. Matthew. Thank you. Um so, uh, I introduced this mini-series a couple of episodes ago, and in the last episode you uh, asked me some more questions about why I'm doing this and uh, how I could make the what I see as the threat or the issue or the danger um, more real um, or more clear. So, uh, I'm going to shift into actually reading some of the material that I've been talking about to back up the claims that I've made. Uh, this is going to be a little dry, just as a heads up, because uh, I'm going to be reading from the books of critical theorists. I'm going to be reading from uh, books of people who are critics of critical theorists. Uh, and I'm going to be reading, wait, me and Athen are going to be reading some of the course content in future episodes. Um, uh, unfortunately, because, like I said, it's a little dry. Um, it is homework time. Uh, if I am mistaken about my assessment, then that will be revealed to us in this in this endeavor. Um, if I'm accurate or in any way accurate, um, it is important and crucial that people get themselves up to speed with these ideas, um, because increasingly they are going to be uh, underpinning many of the policy decisions that are being made in in our countries, both the United States and in Britain. Um, so I'm going to start with the book, The Critical Turn in Education, a subtitle from Marxist Critique to Post-Structurist Feminism to Critical Theories of Race. I will be giving some commentary on these books, um, although I'm largely going to let the, the work speak for themselves because I want to put this this information out there so that you, the listeners, can make up your own minds about this material. Um, I'm going to try and avoid uh, emphasizing my particular position on this, although I, I will, um, I will at some points. So, without further ado, <clears throat> the critical turn in education. Uh, by Isaac Gotsman, published in 2016. Uh, today, I'm going to be following the uh, example of James Lindsay, who, if you do want um, quite in-depth commentary on these same works, uh, I do recommend you check out his website, New Discourses, and his podcast, New Discourses, um, where he goes into uh, much greater detail uh, than I will be able to um, on this issue. So uh, the first page is just a short blurb. The Critical Turn in Education, the book, traces the historical emergence and development of critical theories in the field of education, from the introduction of Marxist and other radical social theories in the 1960s to the contemporary critical landscape. This book begins by tracing the first waves of critical scholarship in the field through a close contextual study of the intellectual and political projects of several core figures, including Paulo Freire, Samuel Bowles and Herbert Gintis, 
Michael Apple and Henry Giroux. Later chapters offer a discussion of feminist critiques, the influx of postmodernist and post-structuralist ideas in education, and critical theories of race. While grounded in US scholarship, the critical turn in education contextualizes the development of critical ideas and political projects within a larger international history, and charts the ongoing theoretical debates that seek to explain the relationship between school and society. Today, much of the language of this critical turn has now become commonplace, words such as hegemony, ideology, and the term critical itself. But by providing a historical analysis, the critical turn in education, the book, illuminates the complexity and nuance of these theoretical tools which offer ways of understanding the intersections between individual identities and structural forces in an attempt to engage and overturn social injustice. The, <clears throat> there are two introductions to this book, uh, one by the series editor, because this is a book um, in the Critical Social Thought series, um, but there are many other books on the same topic. Maybe we'll cover some of those in the future. Uh, the first uh, is the introduction by the series editor, who is Michael Apple. Um, so I'm going to start this episode with just reading that introduction. So this is now uh, Michael Apple speaking. Let me begin my introduction to Isaac Gotsman's fine book with a story. During a series of lectures and some work with critical educators in a country in Asia, I spent a good, te- a good deal of time with my graduate students. Many of them had been or still were teachers in the public schools of that country. We talked about many things and I was deeply impressed with their knowledge of a large array of work in critical educational theory and research. During our conversations, they told me that one of the reasons they were more than a little familiar with some of the core work in critical education was because it was included on the standardised tests that teachers and graduate students had to take as an official part of their programme. This is a paradoxical situation. On the one hand, it clearly shows that what Gottsman calls the critical turn in education has been integrated into the formal corpus of official programmes in education throughout the world, I am certain that this was not an easy thing to do, and it constitutes a victory. On the other hand, as Jeff Whitty has noted, such incorporation may also signify a process of co-optation, of taking insurgent knowledge and turning it into simply one more academic area that needs to be studied for examinations, thereby severing its connection to its political roots. He quotes Whitty, 2006. This is something I too have worried about publicly, since rather than politicising the academic, it academicizes the political. Thus, like the rest of the world we live in, the uh, critical education is caught up in contradictory relations of power. But a realisation of these contradictions must not cause paralysis or cynicism. It should drive us to constantly remember and reconnect with the critical impulses and commitments that have led to to the critical turn in education. This makes a book like The Critical Turn in Education that traces out the political and intellectual history of some of the major figures and traditions in critical education an important contribution. Speaking broadly, critical education seeks to expose how relations of power and inequality social, cultural and economic, 
in their myriad of forms, combinations and complexities are manifest and are challenged in the formal and informal education of children and adults. In its most robust form, it involves a thoroughgoing reconstruction of what education is for, how it should be carried out, what we should teach, and who should be empowered to engage in it. This more robust understanding involves fundamental transformations of the underlying epistemological, so focused on knowledge, and ideological assumptions that are made about what counts as official or legitimate knowledge and who holds it. It also involves a commitment towards social transformation and a break with the comforting illusions that the ways in which our societies and their educational apparatuses are organised currently can lead to social justice. A more robust understanding of critical education is also based increasingly in a realisation of, of the importance of multiple dynamics underpinning the relations of exploitation and domination in our societies. Hence issues surrounding the politics of redistribution, exploitative economic processes and dynamics, and the politics of recognition, cultural struggles against domination and struggles over identity, these need to be jointly considered. At the very root of these concerns are two simple principles. First, we must think relationally, that is, all of our institutions and sets of social relations, and even our very identities, need to be seen as intimately connected to the inequalities that structure our society and to the movements that seek to interrupt such equalities. So I'm just going to pause on that bit there and just stress the... Uh, insistence that our identities as individuals, right, uh, our social identities as individuals, so the spanning from race, sex, religion, class, and all the rest, um, the stressing that these are to be the primary lenses through which um, social outcomes are to be analysed, right? Now, I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that they aren't an important feature, but I just want to point out the stressing that they should be uh, up front and centre when we're considering complicated problems. Second, uh, in order to understand and act on education and its complicated connections to the larger society, we must engage in the process of repositioning. It will be hard, but we should constantly try to see the world through the eyes of the dispossessed and act against the ideological and institutional processes and forms that reproduce oppressive conditions. This repositioning concerns both political and cultural practices that embody the principles of critical education, but it also has generated a large body of critical scholarship and theory that has led to a fundamental restructuring of what the roles of research and of researcher are. In my recent book, Michael Apple, Can Education Change Society? I detail a number of tasks in which critical educational research and critical scholar-slash-activists in education should engage. Again, I'm just going to stress the um, insistence that scholars in uh, critical educational research should be scholars and activists simultaneously. Um, so it's uh, an odd thing to be suggesting in terms of scholarship, which often takes place in the abstract, 
um, which is one of the reasons why uh, we have academic freedom as a principle, uh, because basically all ideas are to be on the table so that we can think about the complex problems that we have so long as those ideas remain in the abstract. And here we have uh, Michael Apple at the beginning of this book insisting that critical scholars involved in uh, educational scholarship should be scholars and political activists. So I'll just read the, start that again. In my recent book, Can Education Change Society? I detail a number of tasks in which critical educational research and critical scholar slash activists in education should engage. Let me say more about what this implies, since these tasks have major implications for the critical traditions which Isaac Gotsman deals. <clears throat> Number one. Uh, it must bear witness to negativity. That is, one of its primary functions is to illuminate the ways in which educational policy and practice are connected to the relations of exploitation and domination and to struggles against such relations in the larger society. So that's uh, educational research and uh, how one goes about education should be bearing witness to negativity. In engaging in such critical analysis, it also must point to contradictions and to spaces of possible action. Thus, uh, its aim is to critically examine current realities with a conceptual-slash-political framework that emphasises the space in which more progressive and counter-hegemonic actions can or do go on. This is, uh, this is an absolutely crucial step, since otherwise our research can simply lead to cynicism or despair. 3. At times, this also requires a broadening of what counts as research. Here, I mean acting as critical secretaries, secretaries as in scare quotes, to those groups of people and social movements who are now engaged in challenging existing relations of unequal power. When Gramsci, in 1971, an Italian communist, argued that one of the tasks of a truly counter-hegemonic education was not to throw out elite knowledge, but to reconstruct its form and content so that it served genuinely progressive social needs. He provided a key... Sorry, he provided a key to another role that organic and public intellectuals might play. Thus, we should not be engaged in a process of what might be called intellectual suicide. That is, there are serious intellectual and pedagogic skills in dealing with the histories and debates surrounding the epistemological, political and educational issues involved in justifying what counts as important knowledge and what counts as an effective and socially just education. These are not simple and inconsequential issues, and the practical and intellectual-slash-political skills of dealing with them have been well developed. However, they can atrophy if they are not used. We can give back these skills by employing them to assist communities in thinking about this, learning from them, and engaging in the mutually pedagogic dialogues that enable decisions to be made in terms of both the short-term and the long-term interests of the dispossessed. 5. In the process, critical work has the task of keeping traditions of radical and progressive work alive. In the fact, sorry, in the face of organized attacks on the collective memory of difference and critical social movements, 
attacks that make it increasingly difficult to retain academic and social legitimacy for multiple critical approaches that have proven so valuable in countering dominant narratives and relations, it is absolutely crucial that these traditions be kept alive, renewed, and when necessary, criticised for their conceptual, empirical, historical, and political silences or limitations. This involves being cautious of reductionism and essentialism, and asks us to pay attention to what Fraser has called both the politics of redistribution and the politics of recognition. This includes not only keeping uh, theoretical, empirical, historical and political traditions alive, but, very importantly, extending and uh, supportively criticising them. It also involves keeping alive the dreams, utopian visions and non-reformist reforms that are so much a part of these radical traditions. Just to pause there very quickly uh, and just emphasize the um, just coming out and saying that they are, this is in, they are engaging in utopian thinking. Utopian being, uh, I think its original meaning is no place. Um, so in coming up with an ideal vision of how society ought to be, um, critical theory or critical theorists then aim to criticise the current society of failing short of meeting the utopian uh, idealised vision of how society should be, and then uh, encourages action on how to change it. Um, I also want to pause uh, on what non-reformist reforms might mean, because um, I think it's easy to gloss over, which again is in, is in, uh, is in quotations. So uh, reform would be to to take something as it is uh, that is not working as optimally as it could be and then uh, isolating I don't know saying like change it slightly yeah yeah so 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 like it's so you identify the issues specifically and you remedy the issues within what isn't working and that is that counts as reform right, right? but within now, the same paradigmal structure Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so still within the same. So, say to give an example, right? You could take, say, our philosophy course as it's been this year, right? And you could. So that includes a certain series of readings and a certain series of lectures, right? Now, if you were to if we were to reform that, not for, I won't be specific for the reasons, but you would say take, uh, uh, we'll say one or two weeks of the course content and add in some additional content, uh, some additional works, um, and uh, perhaps update some of the lectures. And maybe add a couple, like 30 minutes of tutorials. Yeah, exactly. So that would, that would, that would, be, that would be an example of reform. Right. So, right. so what is non-reform? Well, non-reformist reforms is a sneaky way of saying revolutionary, right? Because a non-reformist reform is to say, well, we don't want to reform it because we're non-reformists. However, we do want to change it, right? So if you, so it's a rejection of like step-by-step -step incremental change, right? So if you if you reject piecemeal step-by-step -step change or reform, then all you are left with is radical revolutionary change, right? Because you know, we're non, we don't want to do reforms because that's not good enough because we don't want to just change the bits that aren't working we want to remedy the entirety of, of what it is 
Um, so it's uh, yeah, quite a sneaky way of saying revolutionary without actually having to say revolutionary. <clears throat> Point six, and again, I apologize for the dryness of this, but um, it is necessary. Keeping such traditions alive and also supportively criticizing them when they are not adequate to deal with the current realities cannot be done unless we ask, for whom are we keeping them alive? And how and in what form are they to be made available? All of the things I have mentioned above in this taxonomy of tasks require the relearning or development and use of varied or new skills of working at many levels with multiple groups. Thus, journalistic and media skills, uh, academic and popular skills, excuse me, and the ability to speak to very different audiences are increasingly crucial. This requires us to learn how to speak in different registers and to say important things in ways that do not require the audience or reader to do all of the work. Point seven, uh, critical educators must also act in concert with the progressive social movements their work supports or in movements against the rightist assumptions and policies uh, they critically analyse. Uh, which, rightist, uh, just to clarify, is in reference to the political right. So like you would say leftist to refer to someone on the radical political left. Um, rightist, they're using in this context to describe, presumably to someone who's to the right of people who are critical theorists. Um uh, and movements against the rightist assumptions and policies um, they critically analyze. Uh, we will come back in a future episode to discuss Herbert Marcuse, because he wrote an essay called Repressive Tolerance, um, where, just very, very briefly, the kind of point of the essay uh, is to uh, emphasize and highlight the views of those uh, radical revolutionaries and to stifle and to uh, censor and pre-censor um, anyone who is outside of that uh, outside of the uh, viewpoint of radically altering society um, but we will come back to that in a future episode uh, this is another reason that scholarship and critical education implies becoming an organic or public intellectual. One must participate in and give one's expertise to movements surrounding actions to transform both a politics of redistribution and a politics of recognition. It also implies learning from these social movements. This means that the role of the unattached intelligentsia, someone who lives on the balcony, is not an appropriate model. As Bourdieu, hope I'm saying that right, reminds us, for example, our intellectual efforts are crucial, but they cannot stand aside, neutral and indifferent, from the struggles in which the future of the world is at stake. Uh, this is another important point, because uh, this is the uh, rejection of the idea of a neutral approach to scholarship. Um, so the belief is that there is no... Because we are uh, creatures of value... Uh, where we have biases and prejudices and desires and dislikes, um, which is actually where the the postmodernists are, are correct when they, when they point out that when people make claims of objectivity, that it is impossible for us as, or the, the argument is that it's impossible for us as a as an animal 
to arrive at an objective answer because of our nature as value-laden creatures. Um, however, they then go on to conclude that, well, because they're uh, is ultimately value when they see the world and uh, interactions even within science as characterized by power um, that then means that well all assertions of knowledge are themselves influenced by power as a consequence of the the value that is in ev inherently um, within them uh, rather than say conclude that well we aim at neutrality because we cannot be neutral we can only be more or less neutral is the approach that traditional scholarship takes of we, we try, we aim at neutrality, we aim at objectivity, we try to mitigate for our biases and prejudices so that we can hone in on the objective reality. Um, but you are not able to do that if you give credence to your desires and your wants and your wishes because it obscures your capacity and your ability to gain access to the objective uh, reality. So this is this is a rejection um, of that approach to scholarship, um, and an insistence that, well, their scholarship is to be value laden. Point eight of apples from Apple's work, um, building on the points made in the previous paragraph, the critical scholar slash activist has another role to play. She or he needs to act as a deeply committed mentor as someone who demonstrates through her or his life what it means to be both an excellent researcher, but a researcher who rejects neutral principles. Oh, hang on, sorry. Uh, both an excellent researcher and a committed member of a society that is scarred by persistent inequalities. She or he needs to show how one can blend these two roles together in ways that may be tense, but still embody the dual commitments to exceptional and socially committed research and participating in movements whose aim is interrupting dominance. It should be obvious that this must be fully integrated into one's teaching as well. I'm just going to read that last line again. It should be obvious that this must be fully integrated into one's teaching as well. And point nine, finally, participation also means using the privilege one has as a scholar slash activist that is each one of us needs to make use of one's privilege to open the spaces at university and elsewhere for those who are not there. For those who do not have a voice in that space and in the professional sites to which, being in a privileged position, you, scholars, have access. Uh, let us be honest, <clears throat> these are difficult tasks and it will undoubtedly be hard for each of us to be fully successful in all of them. Instead, these are both individual and collective responsibilities, ones that critical education has struggled with for a long time. The Critical Turn in Education, the book, examines the ways in which the traditions within critical education have sought to come to grips with a number of these tasks. It also points to what needs to be done in the future to take them even more seriously. Through a series of detailed analyses of key figures and movements, Isaac Gottsman provides us with a nuanced and clear picture of the development of many of the major issues in critical educational theory and research. He documents the increasing sophistication of the field from its early emphasis on education as only a mechanism of class and economic reproduction to its attention to education as a site of resistance, to politicizing education, as an arena of ideological conflict and its role in the reproduction of complex identities and movements, and as an area that has both the limits and possibilities in the long-term struggles to build a more just 
society. At the same time, he details the ways in which uh, what started out as a powerful critique of the relationship between education and class dynamics has been challenged and reconstituted around not only class, but race, gender, sexuality, and the intersections of these, of each of these, sorry. In this way, increasingly both structural and post-structural approaches have come to exist in a sometimes tense but also very productive relationship with each other, a relationship that I certainly support. Class theories, post-structural feminist approaches, critical race theory are all treated with respect in this book. Concepts such as the hidden curriculum, hegemony and counter-hegemony, critical pedagogy, white supremacy, and many more are all set in their historical context in the ongoing debates in a field that is always in motion. The idea of motion is significant here. Gottsman himself is deeply committed to the multiple critical projects that are associated with these traditions, but he also realises that this is an unfinished set of projects. These traditions are indeed in constant motion, driven by transformations in the political, economic, ideological and cultural dynamics and social movements of the larger society and by the continual internal criticisms and debates that are so essential to progressive scholarship and action. Recall at the very beginning of this introduction, uh, Michael Apple um, talks about how he is slightly concerned how the critical scholarship and education has become standard, right? It's become commonplace, right? And it's important that their work is constantly, as he says, the idea of motion is significant here, that they're constantly uh, pushing back and not becoming the nor- like normalized, not becoming the standard. It's a, a constant, constant pushback against, I get to use their language, the status quo. So the one thing they can't do is become the status quo. It has to be constantly evolving and pushing back against that which is the norm. But Gottsman himself doesn't limit. Sorry, but Gottsman doesn't limit himself to describing the development of the theories and debates that characterize the critical turn in education, though that in itself is a significant contribution made by this book. He also points to the future. He articulates a set of cautions. And suggests that, and suggestions that will undoubtedly strengthen the continued development of a robust set of critical traditions and make them more influential actors in the public arena. It is my hope that Isaac Gottsman's efforts here will provide an impetus for others to engage in the detailed historical work so essential to remind us of how our past shapes who we are. And that it also reminds us that as long as the society in which we live creates relations of dominance and subordination and necessitates struggles against these relations, critical education will necessarily remain an unfinished but absolutely essential set of projects, again speaking to the continuation of of their endeavours. So that's the end of that particular introduction. Um, Sorry, yeah, go on. I was just going to give you a time check. We're at 31 minutes. Yeah, cool. Well, we can. Um, do you have any any pushback or any uh, bits you want me to emphasize again, or general questions? Again, I know, I know I know this is it's a it's a lot of content. Um, I guess the main thing mm. I would say to you, please, 
is so one point that I I, I want to ask you mm. is when you said they're using education for activism and conflating the two things, putting them together. Mm-hmm. Why is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, because you bring the political into the educational and again not as a well it comes back to what I said about the rejection of neutral mm. principles right the the, the neutral approach to scholarship because the Because ultimately, this this does come down to a a distinction in in claims about how the world is exactly. Because when I was drawing the distinction between the neutral principles and the rejection of the neutral principles, the the those who would who would argue that the neutral approach is 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 more beneficial would tend to believe that there is an objective reality outside of us as experiencing things and that knowledge of that objective reality is possible and within our grasp um or at least something that we can aim at um but that means that if we're going to be aiming at it we have to aim at it um whilst mitigating for our biases and how we would like things to be, right? Not normative claims that we might have about how we would want the world to be, not in pursuit of how the world is. Mm-hmm. And, and <clears throat> when you bring in the political, right, that is explicitly normative, right? It's explicitly the world ought to be organized as X, Y, and Z because this is my belief politically based on all of the reasons why you have political positions, right? But your temperament, your experiences, your... Yeah. <coughs> but don't all authors... I mean, whoever you read has some kind of belief about how the world ought to be, how the world ought to be shaped. Yeah, yeah, but they don't lean into it. The, the the point of when when you're engaging in in an investigation is like it's not it's not it's not the aim the aim isn't to to be a person who has no political so, affiliation or leaning. Sorry, it's to it's to have a political affiliation and leaning and to is, is what you're saying like you don't start with the world ought to be this way. I'm going to conduct my research to make the world this way it's yes. rather you do all your research you do objective research and then you form a conclusion about the way the world ought to be based on that objective neutral yeah. research yeah irrespective of how you feel about it and 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 but then insisting that because this because this because this is about the education of educators right this is this this book is about the um the educational philosophy behind uh, bringing up to speed educators who then go mm. out and teach right into the classroom right into uh, not just at university level but at all levels of education 
right? And then insisting that these teachers take their political positions and their leanings, right? And their idealized utopian view of the world, right? And you in, in yeah, there you go. And, and that is fully integrated into one's teaching, mm. as is asked for explicitly in this book and in the introduction to this book. And and what about like instances like we just both we both took philosophy of science yeah. last year, uh, and a lot of it was about instances where you have to make decisions about where the money goes and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know how to conduct your study and right, where right, to, right. how to conduct the research model, how to do the data, where to get the data from, how to do that set, mm. and you don't have an unlimited amount of money, so you can't do everything. So you have, you have to make to, decisions. You have to make decisions. Yeah, you have and to those, make decisions, and those decisions, a lot of times, you choose which outcomes, you know, you want that are beneficial to society. So, like, if you if you're doing a research study, and you you throw your money into a specific group or data set that you know might produce an outcome that helps people, right, right, you would choose that over you know another one that wouldn't have that same effect. Right, but this so is is the point you're making that these decisions like uh inherently value laden all because like well i'm not saying they're inherently value laden but i'm saying that it's theoretic you know that that's a potential pushback is you know you can't teach everything so why not teach you know you, you can't have all the knowledge you can't know everything so why not focus on the parts that could improve the lives of people well because it's it's t- it's taking up the um because you're to your point, right? You can't teach everything. You only have a limited time in the classroom, right? And the point of educating children and young adults is to, so that they can be uh, competent individuals who can go out into the world, who have a set of skills to be able to determine their own path as they move out into the world, to solve the problems, to solve the complex problems that we have, to improve our society. Right, but they they can't do that if they can't read, and if they can't, uh, if they don't have a grasp of math, things like mathematics and science, because those lessons have been increasingly uh, put to the sideline or playing second fiddle to, frankly, identity politics. Right? Yeah, because it's all well and good saying, well, but this is this is for the dispossessed. This is for the people who are subordinated and oppressed. And- but isn't it more like the 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 like the arts, the, like the social sciences that deal more with this stuff, and yes, yeah, in like university, like in in university. <laughs> but the, the the this this again this but this book is about the education of educators mm. who then go and teach primary school because because look when you're at primary school uh, elementary school right you don't have like 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 when you're at your university you have your professor for philosophy you have your professor mm. for philosophy of science or you have your professor for x y and z discipline when you're in primary school you have like one or two teachers teach you three or four things right, right? so those educators are being educated and encouraged to bring into those lessons maths english and science Right, their political affiliations, and to get the children involved. Look, this is because it's exciting, right? Because it gets it gets mm. the gets the people going, right? Gets the kids excited because they're like, oh, we're going to talk about our politics and our identities and all this stuff, right? And so the kids are more enthusiastic and and engaged. But it doesn't mean that it's right that it it's actually going to serve them and serve mm. the society once they have been through our educational systems. And I think you can look at the statistics both in in both of our countries about the. St- 
the state and standard of education and the levels at which people can and can't read and can and can't do maths and can and can't think scientifically or don't have that skill set or set of skills to be able to go and think in the world as individual and competent members of society who can then go at the problems that we have mm. and bring about because because this idea is basically oh well we can get into the classroom if we can get the kids to think about how the the entire society is con- constructed around systems of power and oppression right and we can get them to just be conscious of that when they grow up they'll just they won't put up with it they'll just resist it it was like yeah well great but they can't read they can't read they're not very useful they don't know how to think right they're reliant entirely upon or not sorry I'm generalizing but they're heavily reliant on um, their understanding of the world coming from other people, right? Which mm. I don't see how that's a, a preferred situation of sending young adults out into the world who can do that themselves in an increasing degree as they as they practice as as they as they age. Mm, I guess it's not entirely clear for me mm. how like number one how it seeks into things like math and science and also how it would impact a child's ability to like read from like an objective standpoint but i guess we'll touch on that yeah well we're we're gonna uh, get to that yes well we're gonna we're we're gonna come on to paolo ferrari at some point and that's gonna answer that particular question okay well um i think we should wrap up with this one yeah, well, I was, just, I was actually going to say, yeah. encourage people to leave the video messages on Anchor, which is the new feature. I'm just going to say it again, because in case you haven't heard the last episode, uh, there's a new feature on Anchor where you can leave audio messages, record them mm-hmm. about your thoughts on the podcast, comments, questions, etc., and we'll receive them, and then eventually we'll answer all of them. And can I just say one more yeah, thing? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the reason why I'm doing this, right, I'm not trying to convince you of my position on this. I do have a position on this. But why I'm doing this ultimately is because I want you, the reader, you students at Edinburgh University who are being exposed to these ideas because they are increasingly, well, they are very present in the course content. And I am going to be giving examples of that. What I want is for you to be able to make your own mind up about these ideas. Right? I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I have a position. Yes, I'm being quite upfront about that. However, the most important thing is, is that the university, in the course content, when these ideas are present, are not explaining the entire theoretical background. I know they can't do the entire thing, right? but they, could at least, they, they are leaving out tremendous amounts of context with these ideas. So what I'm doing, I know it's dry, and I'm sorry, is I'm putting this out there so you can listen to it, you can go and read it yourself, and you can make up your own mind. That's it. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. Thank you, for, thank you everyone. Um, take care of yourselves. See you next time. See you next time.